short up, shorten up the introduction a little bit. We've been doing the same introduction for the last five weeks. Our text, we're going to use Matthew 9, 17 today. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. We've been talking about the new wine, that we sense that there is new wine coming into the church. Uh, but one of the things that the text brings out is that in order to be able to contain the new wine, new wine ferments, you can't have old vessels, old wineskins, which is how they would contain wine during that time. It doesn't really apply to us in our culture the way uh, the truth is meaning to be brought out because we put uh, fermented drinks in in bottles and, and they are able to uh, contain uh, the fermentation that's taking place, but skins need to be able to stretch. And so the truth is for us is that we also need to be stretchable and moldable to contain what God is wanting to do and going to do within our midst, within our body, okay? And so one of the things we, we've talked about is that uh, we need to have a new coat for the new season that's coming. Now, how many of you know the season kind of changed here last week, right? You walked out today, I looked at my app, and it said 58 degrees, and yesterday I was walking nice and cool. I didn't need a coat. But, you know, normally we look outside, it's cold, it's a little chilly, we get a little sweater, or we get a little warm up top, and, and you know, but the Lord is saying that the season's going to change, and in order to experience the change, we got to put on the coat first, if we're not willing to put on the coat first at his word, we won't experience the change. And that's kind of where we're going and what we're looking at. And so um, in faith, we must change in order to facilitate and see the manifestation of that which God has promised. So in short, we have to uh, have the new wineskin in place to facilitate the new wine that God says is coming. Now, so far, we've looked at the importance of the spiritual, what the Spirit is emphasizing, the Spirit's assessment, the Spirit's sustenance, and today I want to look, uh, uh, continue to look at that uh, letter in the word O, out of that word season, and we want to focus on the subject of the Spirit's objective, the Spirit's objective. And we're going to use for our text today the text for this message, the other text was for the series, Acts 2, 41 through 47. Those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, while there are many uh, definitions of the word objective, my focus is on the one that defines it this way. It is something towards which effort is directed, an aim, a goal, an intentional target, or the end of an action. So in calling this message the Spirit's objective, our aim is to find the goal to which the Spirit of God is leading us in fulfilling our destiny as a church 
uh, this church, what is our purpose, what is our destiny, where is the Spirit leading us to? So we're going to actually find where we're going in the scriptures that we're reading today because it's going to prophesy towards where we're going as well, okay? So we're going to begin, the first sub-point is Jerusalem is where the New Testament church started. Acts 1, 4 through 5 and 8, Jesus, while staying with them, ordered them, the disciples, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses where in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth or the uttermost parts of the earth. So the Spirit did fall, as Jesus had promised, and then, for the most part, things were going wonderful in Jerusalem. We just read about how 3,000 souls were added, uh, favor was being poured out on the church, people were being touched, fed, more people were getting saved, the church was growing together, and the power of God was evident. Luke tells us in the first part of Acts about all that was taking place in the church. Things change, however, when we get to Acts chapter 8. What happened in Acts chapter 8? Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So scholars estimate that five years had passed uh, between this passage and the passage in Acts chapter 1 that we read where Jesus said, uh, uh, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Why did all of a sudden the church begin to face persecution and to scatter? While there are many reasons why, there's one reason I want to focus on today, and, and that is that in the end, they did not do what they had been commanded to do. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean they didn't do? People are getting saved. People are getting uh, uh, healed. People are coming into the church. What do you mean they didn't do what they were commanded to do? What were they commanded to do? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And period. Stop. No. But that's what they did. They put a period where the Holy Spirit put a comma. They were supposed to go to Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Unfortunately, they just stayed in Jerusalem, okay? You see, there was a mega church in Jerusalem, but in focusing simply on Jerusalem, they failed to reach out to the surrounding towns and regions and cities that also needed Jesus. To bring a little more clarity, let's review the circumstances again. After his resurrection, the disciples were commanded to go into all the world, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of some nations, most nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now remember, they were to wait in Jerusalem until, until, but they weren't supposed to stay there. They were to move out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the rest of the earth. So it's about, I don't know if you know this, but it's about 
20 miles from Jerusalem to Judea. And it's about 33 miles from Jerusalem to Samaria. It doesn't take five years to walk there from Jerusalem. Unfortunately, when we become so content with our lives and neglect the will and the work of the Lord, it is not just the world that suffers, but we too can suffer in many and in various ways. Now you say, they weren't neglecting the work of the Lord. You're right. They weren't doing what they needed to do, but they didn't fulfill all that God wanted them to do. In their mind, they were doing great. But it's not about doing our will, it's about doing His will. And we can convince ourselves that His will and our will are the same. And if, we, if we're not careful, we have a tendency to see things myopically. In other words, in our little world, our little focus. And that's why you have to be able to allow God to step you back. And you can say, I did do what you asked me to do, but what I asked you to do was a lot bigger than what you're saying that I said for you to do. Have you ever told your kids, gone to work, some of your dads gone to work, moms or whatever, and you said, when I come home, I want you to clean your room, I want the dishes to be washed, and I want so-and-so to be vacuumed, whatever the case may be. Yeah, 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 mom, okay. Hey, and you come home, and, and you look around, and you don't see any of that done, but the kid says, well, I did do what you asked me to do. I made my bed, which probably didn't happen either. But if they did do their bed, did they do something that they were asked to do? Yes, but did they do all that they were asked to do? But in the kid's mind, I did what you asked me to do. But in the parent's mind, no, you did not. And see, that's what's happening here. They're probably saying, hey, man, it's great. Church is growing. Things are happening, you know. And, but it's all within the confines of Jerusalem. But Jesus didn't tell them to stay in Jerusalem. He said to go into all the world, right? So we see in the book of Acts, when the great persecution of Acts 8 arises, there were an estimated 20 to 25,000 Christians in the megachurch in Jerusalem. But those 20 to 25,000 Christians were now being scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Oh, that's bad. Churches, the Christians are being persecuted. They're having to run. Well, it's on one way of looking at it, it's a bad thing. But on the other way of looking at it, now you have twenty to 25,000 preachers taking the gospel into all the world. They didn't want to scatter, but they were forced to scatter. It's kind of like on Wednesday nights, sometimes we have some people sit on this section and we have some people sit in this section, and we have a lot of chairs open in this section, and I'll say, can you get everybody in the middle? And they'll get in the middle, but it's very evident they don't want to. <laughs> but since everybody's focused on them, they do it, you know, so that it looks like they want to, but they really don't want to, right? So they didn't want to scatter, but they were forced to scatter. But the result was that now 25,000 Christians were going throughout the region carrying the message of the gospel. 
While persecution is never something to be wished for, in this case, it forced the Christians in Jerusalem to do what they were commanded to do. Now, wouldn't it be great if we just did what God commanded us to do and we didn't have to go through persecution? Wouldn't it be great is when God said give, we would just give what he asked us to do and we wouldn't have to experience the devourer. I'm just saying, right? At some point, we're going to learn. God's desire is that we would be blessed. God's desire is that we would be a blessing. But the only way that truly happens is when we honor him, honor his word, and do what he says. Okay? They didn't completely do what he says, and unfortunately, the enemy got in there. But God had a way of working things out, even when the enemy got in there, and somehow or another, he makes everything good. It's never good to be persecuted, never good, to, but he can turn everything around. And I like what somebody says, if you ever play poker in the, in the, uh, sometime in your past life, he can take a pair of twos and still win. For those of you all that don't know, that's like the worst hand you can get in poker. But anyway, he can take whatever you give him and he can still turn it around and do something good with it. All right. So now there were Christians on the move and bringing to fruition his will that the gospel would go also to Judea and to Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. Where did they end up? Well, the next place we see in the book of Acts where you have now Christians gathering is in the city of Antioch. Antioch is where a great majority of Christians moved to. In Acts 11, 19-26, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But where there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Who were the Hellenists? Those were Jews that spoke Greek. Right? Yeah, in the Latin world, we speak Spanish, right? Okay, but to a Spaniard, we're not Spanish, right? Spaniards have a different way of looking at things. There is the Spaniard Spanish, there is the Spaniard Hispanic, and then there's everybody else. Okay, now, whether that's, I can't judge anybody's heart, I'm just telling you that it's not the same, okay? And so if you confuse a Spanish person with being, a, a, you know, somebody from South America, they will balk, you know? It's, it's different, it's just they don't look at it that way. And it's the same thing what we're really talking about in the Jewish world, even though they're Jews, if they speak Greek, it's not the same as somebody who speaks the mother tongue which is Hebrew. Okay, but some people, they, they lost all cultural protocol and they began to speak to people that spoke Greek as well. And that's what the Bible is bringing out here. And the hand of the Lord was with them. They were breaking down barriers. They were breaking down walls. You see, in Jerusalem, they were only talking to people that spoke Hebrew. But now these people were going out and they were flowing with the Spirit. They were stretching, doing things that normally they wouldn't do. And what they found was that God was with them. All right? And the, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. 
Could have been if they'd sent somebody else, they might have got mad. But Barnabas wasn't mad. Barnabas was glad. I was channeling Danny Johnson there for a little bit. Anyway, and he's coming here also. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast fast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas was, went to Tarsus to look for a man named Saul, who had, by the way, was one of the instigators of the great persecution that caused everybody to leave. But God got a hold of Saul, and now Saul was saved, and Barnabas was sent to get him. And when Barnabas found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, followers of Christ. So the church grew and spread as the disciples fled Jerusalem because of the persecution, and soon another center developed, Antioch. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians, and it was also the church in Antioch from which we see a purposeful apostolic outreach by the Holy Spirit through the sending of Paul and Barnabas. Now this is the, the nitty-gritty, this is the meat of where we've been going. Okay? I want y'all to, I know, I know you're hungry and your stomach's going. <laughs> but you tell them, I'm about to feast on some meat. Yeah. In Acts 13, 2 through 4, it says, While they were worshiping in Antioch, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said to the leaders of the Antioch church, Set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they, the leaders of the Antioch church, not the Jerusalem church, but the Antioch church, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and for there they sailed to Cyprus. So now we see that Paul and the church of Antioch are on the forefront of what the Spirit of God is doing. And here we see several things taking place. One, we see that Paul and Barnabas were sent by the Holy Spirit, but accountable to the church. And the church was not only uh, uh, supporting them, but the church was also helping them and guiding them. After a successful and eventful missionary trip, they returned to Antioch and reported to the church. In Acts 14, 26 through 28, it says, And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. So one, we see that Paul and Barnabas were sent by the Holy Spirit, but still tied and connected to the church. Two, we see that Paul established churches throughout the then known world. Not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, not just Samaria, but throughout the then known world world. So at Antioch is where the church was now becoming the place that Jesus had wanted them to become from the beginning and going to the uttermost parts of the earth. Antioch was the base for that ministry. In essence, Antioch became a base for the apostolic spirit that was on Paul. And what is an apostolic spirit? It's a sending spirit. I have sent you. That's what it means to an apostle was a sent one. Someone sent with authority and power and was given a mission that they were to fulfill. What was the mission? Go into all the world and make 
disciples of some nations, most nations, all nations. Acts said it this way. You receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon me. Not to stay in Jerusalem, but to, to, to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem and then to go to Judea, and then to go out to Samaria, and ultimately to go out to the ends of the earth. That was the mission. That was the commission. In essence, Antioch became a base to further the mission that the Holy Spirit had, had given the church. And what specific things do we see happening after the church in Antioch laid hands on Paul and Barnabas? The Spirit of God sent out a team. This team, uh, which was Paul and Barnabas, was led to start churches in many cities. They were used by God to make disciples in the midst of opposition. They left the cities they visited with new communities and new churches established. They revisited those cities on their way back to connect once again with the church. They returned to Antioch and they reported what God had been doing through their church planning endeavors. So what, is, what, what are you getting to? What is your point, Pastor? Antioch-like, or to be like Antioch, is the Spirit's objective. You might be asking yourself, what does this all have to do with us? And why is this important to us at Shady Oaks? Because I believe that the objective to which the Holy Spirit is leading us towards and the aim that He is bringing to pass in us, that we would be a church akin to that which was taking place in Antioch. I believe, like Antioch, we at Shady Oaks are called to be an operational hub. That is, we are called to be a center that radiates outward. Internally, we're to be a community like Acts 2. Externally, a church like Antioch. And what was Antioch? It was a sending church. Okay, I wrote it this way. Let me give you another example. A lot of the church thinks not so much in their head, but the way that they act. Now, you know, it's not about what you think and what you say. It's about what you do. We kind of act like the church is a cruise liner, a luxury cruise liner. We go on board. We pay our fare to get on. Some people pay 10%. Some people pay a dollar. But they get on this cruise line, and they expect everything to be there, ready, prepared for them. There's a staff, there's a crew, makes everything comfortable for them. If they don't like the way they go and complain, they make sure that their food is exact. And they have so much, so much abundance that they, all they're concerned about is where are we gonna eat for dinner? Where are we gonna eat tomorrow? What kind of show are we gonna go to? Let's experience, let's just have a joyful experience. And they're on this cruise ship and ultimately they accomplish Nothing. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate that. But see, we're on a ship, but the ship isn't a cruise ship. The ship is a battleship. And we're on this ship to be trained so that when we go to battle, and we are going to battle, and we're in a battle, not to stay on the ship. I know I'm kind of mixing metaphors, and I know if you're a Navy guy, everything happens on the ship, uh, but they have Navy SEALs, and they have other extensions of the Navy, but the bottom line is we're being trained to go to war. We're being trained to go to battle, only we don't battle with flesh and blood. We battle with powers, principalities, rulers, and what is our mission? 
to bring uh, his word into this world, to bring the kingdom of God to manifest in this planet. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, not on the ship alone, but uh, on this earth as it is in heaven. And as long as we have the mindset that we're a cruise ship, then we're going to, our church may grow bigger, but then we're going to have better coffee shops. We're going to have uh, places where we can shop. We're going to have places where we can eat. We're going to have places, we're going to come to church, but we're going to have better chairs. We're going to have recliners one day. We're going to have better shows. We're going to have better lights. We're going to have better systems. We're going to have pitch perfect. We're, everything's going to be about us. But that's not what the church is about. What is the church about? The church is a place where we come and gather, but we don't come and gather to just be pleased and to be uh, uh, spectators and to be uh, uh, people that just uh, get and receive. That's not why we come to church. Why do we come to church? We come to church so we can huddle together and develop a plan and, and heal up our wounded and get people all where they need to be so that we can go out there and we can play the, the real uh, game. We can get in the real arena and that's take the gospel to those that are around there. He said, well, I don't like that church. There's lots of other churches in the community. And he said, you're sending me out? I'm trying to. Are you telling me to go? No. I'm telling you what we're about. And one of the things that you'll learn if you go through a new members class is that, listen, where we're going is already set. Okay? If you're going to come here and you're going to be a part of who we are, we'll welcome you. We love you. But you don't get to determine where we go. The Holy Spirit determines where we go. Well, what do I get to determine? You get to determine whether you want to get on the bus or not. If you don't want to get on this bus, there are other churches that are going to different places, different destinations. You can get on that bus. But listen, when you go to a bus stop, you look at the sign, and if you're going to uh, Houston, but it says we're going to uh, uh, Brazoria, you don't get on the Brazoria bus because you're going to Houston. If it says we're going to Galveston, but you're going to Houston, you don't get on the, on the Galveston bus. Which bus do you get on? The bus that you need to be on. This bus is going this way. And you get to determine whether or not you want to get on the bus or not. So, well, that's arrogant. Well, I've been accused of a lot of things, you know. I'm just trying to do what I feel like the Lord is leading us and calling us to do. Do I want anybody to get off the bus? Absolutely not. We want everybody to get on the bus. We will love you, care for you. We won't. Are you saying that we're second-class citizens if we get off? No, absolutely not. All we're saying is that this is the direction that our church is going. And we want you to be a part of it. But I don't want you to be confused about what we're about. And I don't want you to be confused about what the Holy Spirit is wanting us to do. Now, will God bless us? Yes. Will we have a coffee shop? Absolutely, we already have one. Are we going to have nice chairs? We've got them already. Are we, you know, we're going to have all these things, but it's not just so you can be happy. It's so that we can do what we were called to do, which is provide training and, 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 uh, and healing and direction so that we can get uh, uh, healed up and huddled up so that we can go to battle. We can go to war. Not with people. Not with the government. Not with politics. That's not what we're going to war with. We're going to war against an enemy. 
Now, it might mean that we might have to stand up against the government. We might have to stand up against unrighteous rulership. People are doing that all throughout our country. I'm off on a rabbit, but that's okay. I'm on a rabbit trail, but I hope you like rabbits. You know, when they try to bring some of this ungodly woke mess in our school districts, we need some of us to stand up and say, no, we're not going to do that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We need some, some moms that are willing to fight for their kids. We need some dads that are willing to fight for righteousness. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about righteousness. A fighting for the next generation. Fighting for uh, what they need in order to become all that God created them to be. Fighting for what we know to be truth which is there is a God who loves you and created you on purpose for a purpose. You're not just a random cluster of cells that has the permission to do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want, but don't expect that everything's going to go your way and everybody's going to follow after you and live in the virtual reality that you want to live. Why? Because we know God and we know what's really true is what God says and we're living for Him. And it's whether you like it or not, we're called to be salt, we're called to be light, we're called to be like leaven in the earth, and by God, that's what we're going to be. Three of us. The rest of y'all are trying to figure out if this is a bus you want to get on or not. <laughs> Externally, we're a church like Antioch. Antioch was ultimately ascending church. Acts 2, 42 through 45 uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the, the Jerusalem church, but the Antioch church was where they actually started sending people out purposefully. We're called to be a church that trains men and women and youth for ministries that are inside and outside the church. Listen, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't have the ability to do it, but I know what's going to happen. One day we're going to have a school, and we're going to teach people the kingdom way of looking at life, right? We're going to show them that God is real. He has a purpose and a destiny for their lives. We're going to teach them to have a kingdom mentality and a kingdom lens and how they're going to look at life. And we're not just going to train them to survive. We're going to train them to be victorious and to live overcoming Christian life and to make a difference in this world. We're going to have a school one day. We're going to have a Bible school one day, right? And we're going to teach them how to, how to not just uh, rightly divide the word of truth, but how to flow in the gifts and the power of God. And we're going to teach them how to go out there, and we're going to teach them how to make a difference in this world. And we're not just going to send people to preach in the, in the churches and create other churches. We're going to do that, but we're also going to send people into the government arena, into the educational arena, into different the, uh, arenas of life. And we're going to teach them that they have a mandate to go and bring the kingdom of God into this arena. And you say, well, how are they going to do that? Everything is weighed against them. Well, God's plan in the book of Daniel was to change Babylon, and he did it by sending three uh, 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 Hebrew boys and another one, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And through the supernatural power of God, they changed the king's heart. And when you change the king's heart, you change the king's land. I'm just saying. Never say never with God. God said one man by the name of Joseph kicking and screaming. And he changed Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. 
I'm just saying. You might say this way, Jerusalem is where we started, but it's not our goal. And I'm talking to our church right now. See, we're called to be a church that strengthens existing churches and establishes new ones. Antioch is where we're going. Antioch is our goal. Jerusalem was where we were. It was about bringing them into the church. Antioch is about sending them out of the church into all the world. We're not abandoning one identity for another. We're simply emphasizing something new in this season as opposed to what was emphasized in the last season. And the last season was get them to church, bring them to church, bring them to church, get them to church, get them saved, you know, and, and, and let's just all huddle together and, and, and keep ourselves safe because there's an enemy out there and we're afraid of him. I'm sorry, that's the way the church has functioned, right? But God is not into that. God is into raising up Davids. He's into raising up Deborahs. He's into raising up Moses. He's into raising up people that say, uh, like Samson's, that when a lion is coming, the Spirit of God comes upon him and he rushes upon the lion and tears it in two. Well, they're, 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 super, they're special people. So are you. Right? Uh, what is the scripture in Second Peter? We are a chosen generation, a royal people, a priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Actually, another translation says a special people. Not special. Not that kind of special. You are special. You're no different than David. You're no different than Deborah. They were just flesh and bone. What, what makes us in that league? You allow God to use you. Well, I'm afraid. Well, I'm sure they were too. But the, everybody has to battle that fear. Everybody was listening to Goliath. David listened to Goliath as well. But David had something the other people didn't. He wasn't just listening to Goliath. He was listening to God who's bigger than Goliath. And he decided to focus his attention not on what Goliath could do, but on what God could do. In this series, let me say this. We're not abandoning one identity for another. We're simply emphasizing something new in this season as opposed to what was emphasized in the last season. We're calling into being things that are not as though they were. We're believing God for the new season that we are to move into. In this series, we're focusing on the idea that Jesus is bringing new wine into the church. And you might say, well, this isn't anything new. It's new to us. This new wine is not something new, as in the sense of never been seen before, but it's new in the sense that it's a moving of his spirit in and among us that requires flexibility to contain it. We looked at so far the importance and primacy of the spiritual realm of hearing by faith and following what the spirit is speaking to us and where he's leading us. Today we looked at what I believe the goal or the objective of the Spirit is for us as a church. In order to experience this new expression of what God is wanting to do in us, in this particular church, we must be willing to let go of what we have been doing, what we have been pursuing, what we have been thinking, the lens we've been wearing, to embrace the new of what He is wanting us to experience in fulfilling our God-given destiny. You see, some of us mentally, we're kind of uh, checking into the retirement home. 
and you're getting there, and what God is saying is, you thought this was a retirement home, but it's really a boot camp. Well, I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm ready to retire, not ready to go to war, and God is saying, well, when I touch you, when my presence comes upon you, you're going to be able to run through a troop and leap over a wall. And I can do more through someone that is willing and following after me than someone who is fighting me on every corner because he doesn't understand my purpose and my objective and what I want to do. The purpose and the objective of God is to raise up a generation of people, and some of us will be fathers, and some of us will be mothers that are raising up Davids and Deborahs and and, and people that are going to go out. And some of us that are older might be Davids and might be uh, Caleb's and we might be Joshua's, but the bottom line is where God is leading us is not to get out of the world, but to go into the world. Not to escape in fear, but to go forth in faith. Believing that with God, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, are you saying Jesus isn't coming back? No, Jesus is coming back. But he's not coming back for a fearful bride that's hiding in a closet. He's coming back for a church that is uh, without spot, without wrinkle, mature, doing what he asks us to do, occupying. And when he comes back, he'll say, what have you done with what I gave you? Oh, I hid it under a bushel. I hid it in a closet. I hid it underneath a steeple. No. What did you do with what I gave you? I went out to the world, and I used what you gave me to gain more and more and more. And Lord, this is what I have to give you. I have people that got saved, but also our neighborhood was changed. Our, our school system was changed. Our city was changed. Our state was changed. Our country was changed because we didn't stay in this place. We went out of this place and we believed you and we had five smooth stones and we took out the giants that were trying to keep us in bondage and in fear because we believe that God is with us. I better stop. Pastor, you're radical. I'm just finding that out about myself right now. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I'm radical. I, I think it's the Spirit of God that's radical. See, we've just been wanting the Spirit of God to help us to speak in other tongues and to do a little jig and, and you know, fall down on the floor. But the Spirit of God wasn't just for that. The Spirit of God was meant to empower us to lay hands on the sick, sick people, sick communities, sick governments, sick families, sick nations. And bring the kingdom of God to bear. Not my will, but thy will be done. Well, what if I lose my life? Well, Jesus lost his life, and he's doing pretty good. <laughs> they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony because they loved not their lives, even unto death. Well, you better bow down, or I'm going to throw you in the fire. Well, our God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. They looked in the fire, and they saw the three kids that were put in the fire, and there was somebody else that looked like the son of the gods. And they said, come out of there. And by the way, we're going to give you a promotion. (laughs) 
and we're not going to require you to bow down to this idol anymore because it seems like your God is bigger than ours. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 